Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and joining me for today's Day 3 Recap, his first appearance on the podcast of 2019, it is former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, current Cracked Rackets contributor, and of course the personification of tennis cocaine, Matthew Stokowiak. Matt, hey, Great shot, and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Gruskin, man. I Look, I'm actually honored that you're having me back <laughs> on the pod. I thought for a while I was done. I was never going to be back. You didn't want me anymore, but oh, man, this is great. This is great, man. Well, How you doing? I, I'm doing well. I enjoyed yesterday's day off from podcasting. I think I had gone six and seven days, so... I know this is going to be a shock for you to hear, but it was nice not to have to talk for a little bit and it got to rest up that voice. I know you did not get to rest your voice yesterday, and we will get into our college tennis episode on a later date. But how was that Duke-Arizona State match? Was it fun watching your brother uh, grind out a victory and help lead his team back? Unreal, man. That was, without a doubt, one of the best college matches I've ever been to. Down 0-3 winning four matches in a row, all in third sets. It was crazy. My voice is a little bit hoarse. I'm going to try to overcome that. I think I can do it. Um, But (laughs) man, Aussie Open, how about that? We got a ton of stuff to talk about. I'm pumped. What a great time. Oh, and this is why I'm excited to have you back because your enthusiasm is contagious. I'm amped as well. I'm hoping you're going to write about that college match on our website, crackedrackets.com. And for our listeners, if you've missed anything from this year's Australian Open, if you want to prepare yourself for the college tennis season, which as Matt mentioned, it's already underway, check out our website, crackedrackets.com. We've got a ton of great content up there. Our team has been working nonstop this whole month of January to get you guys ready for the 2019 tennis season, so you don't want to miss any of that. If you want a more instant update, check out our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Of course, listen, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, as well as our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast. We've had a lot of fun guests up there. I keep plugging this pod, but Rothman's conversation with Sam Query, though not very long, was a ton of fun to listen to. So, you know, it's about a 10-minute listen, perfect for any stupid chore you have to do around the house. So go give that a look. But yes, Matt, as you mentioned, We'll start out with a question for you. More enjoyable, and I know you had some personal stakes in this match, but Duke-Arizona State and just the return of college tennis or this Australian Open thus far? Ooh, you're already hitting me with a hard one, man. (laughs) No warm-up. Wow, wow. Putting me on the spot. I mean, look, it's rare in a college match that you're going to see a comeback like that down 0-3, but... I mean, the Open's the Open, man. It's it's Melbourne. <laughs> like, you know, it's as good as it gets. And the other thing about that is it's on every night. So <laughs> That's true. You know, there, there's more of it, even though there, there will be more, more college to come. But I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not going to pick. I, I can't choose oh, that. That's fair. And I, I think the easy pick probably should have just said, oh, my brother. But we hope Nick won't listen to this episode. Hopefully, hopefully he does actually and gives you some about it a a little bit later. I will ask you one more tough one, and then I promise we'll get into the actual tennis. But to you, what is more enjoyable, the first week of a major when you have just so many matches going on all of the time, or that second week when there's the high-pressure stakes, when you know it's the best players left and these guys are just physically grinding it out? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, 
I always get super hyped at the beginning of a major because there's so many matches and I get to follow like 10 courts at once. So much action going on. I, I always love that. I mean, of course, as we progress through the events, the quality gets a little bit better um, as the better players, you know, reach the later stages. But there's something about that first week of a Grand Slam where everybody's there. You know, it just seems like there's fans all over the place, matches on all the outside courts. You get some epic five setters, you know, on court 18 or whatever it might be. And there's really not too much that beats that, in my opinion. I completely agree with you. And I think the best middle ground of the two scenarios you described are the third and fourth round because you have a lot of matches still being played, but these are guys who have survived two rounds already. These are the best players on tour, guys who have earned their spots. And so we're in that perfect middle ground right now, Matt, and we have a ton of great matches to talk about. Of course, we would be remiss if we did not start with this year's LAMP, which of course stands for the last American male player standing. Francis Tiafo, the young American who turns 21 either today or in a couple of days, but the point is he turns 21 years old this month. That's how f***ing young he is. Takes out Andreas Seppi, 6'7", 6'3", 6'4", 6'4", 6'3". Matt, I know he played phenomenally well against Anderson, but still... I have never seen Francis Tiafo sustain this level for this long in a tournament. No, this is this is a new Francis Tiafo. I think we're we're now learning that Francis has learned how to win at this level. We knew he had talent, we knew he was athletic, we knew he could move around the court, he had the shots, he had weapons, but it seems like coming into this year, I don't know exactly what he did in the offseason, but He's learned how to win on the biggest stage in pro tennis. And that was kind of the last thing, you know, that that might have been missing for him. So the talent's always been there. We've known that. But he's finally putting it together. And, you know, I wasn't on the podcast earlier in the week. But, I mean, that win over Anderson, absolutely just unbelievable. Um, And, you know, going forward now, I don't think he's done yet. And I think this is just the start of a huge Huge 2019 for Francis. I'm looking for big things now. So I promise we will get back to this Tiafo match and break it down more in depth, but you bring up his win over Anderson, and you're right, we haven't gotten the chance to talk yet. If I'd have told you before this tournament, given what we knew about both players, that Francis Tiafo had a horrible Hopman Cup, did not end 2018 as strong as he would have liked, versus Alex Dimenauer, who obviously ended 2018 on fire, and then carries that success into this year with an early ATP title. If I'd have told you, you know, Tiafo, one of Tiafo's going to beat Anderson or Dimenauer's going to beat Nadal was going to happen. Which would you have said was more likely? Wow. Tough hitting questions I mean, it, early on. A lot of hypotheticals. It, that is, that's a good question. Here's the thing. The difference between Nadal and Anderson to me is just still a little bit significant, which is why I probably would have told you the chances of Francis upsetting Anderson would be a little bit better than Demonor's chances of upsetting Nadal, even though Demonor had a great tournament in Sydney, won his first event. Um, and like you mentioned, Francis struggled in the Hopman Cup. I, of course, I had Francis losing in the second round. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bullshit you. I mean, he I, I had him losing to Anderson. And and so for me, this was just it was huge. But 
if I had to answer your question, I would have told you Francis had the better chance, but that probably has more to do with Nadal, to be honest. Yeah, that, that's fair. And getting back to Francis Tiapo, I think some of the reasons you would have given him a better chance have manifested themselves so far. You know, he served so well against Anderson in this match, a five-set match. He has 16 aces against five double faults. You know, if you're throwing in one double fault to set on average, that's not horrible. Obviously, you'd prefer to have less, but that's still a good serving performance. He makes 62% of his first serves, wins 80% of those points. That's elite. That's the number you need to have when you're in, you know, a third round stage of a Grand Slam tournament. You know, even on the second serve points, wins 58% of those going 31 to 53. Five of 10 on his break points versus only two of six for Seppi. And I think one of the things that maybe had most frustrated me about Francis Tiafo beforehand and coming into this match, he was 0-4 in five set matches. This is his first five set win of his career. You know, Francis has always been a guy who likes to slice and dice, who wants to work his way forward, be crafty around the court. And I think him going 21 of 33, you know, a 64% conversion on his net points is a testament not to his volleys improving, but to his approach shots improving. He's been hitting his forehand with such authority in this tournament thus far. Yeah, and I think just his willingness to come forward. I think he may have made a concerted effort over the offseason to, you know, get into the net more because he has good hands. Um, but but you're right, Alex. I mean, when he comes in behind those approach shots, a lot of the volleys are going to be relatively easy. And, and he's shown that he can he can execute up there. Um, but this match was really pretty close. I mean, a five setter and Seppi is a tough customer. That's one of the things that I want everybody to realize. I mean, Seppi is a veteran. He's been around forever. He gives you nothing. He's a grinder, very, very solid player. He makes you beat him. He will not lose it himself. And so Francis had to go out there, be the aggressor, and take the match from him. And he he backed it up after beating Anderson. To me, that that's the biggest thing in all of this, is he backed up a huge win with another big-time win. And I was looking to see if he was going to have a bit of a letdown after the Anderson match. And sure enough, he comes through in five again. These are huge steps. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you talk about Andreas Seppi, a guy who won't give you know give away a match. I think that actually played to Francis's advantage in this one. He was able to dictate, you know, Seppi's not able to overwhelm Francis's forehand with pace. And if the bar for Francis Tiafo is you have to overpower him, given how well he's able to move, given how crafty he can be, his passing shots have been on fire these past two rounds. Francis is going to be a tough out in 2019. Now, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this more later on, but I want to end this match recap here. Tiafo obviously now matches up with number 20 seed Grigor Dimitrov, who quietly reaches the round of 16 in this tournament. What do you think about Francis's chances in that match? I like his chances. I, I really do. The way that he's playing right now, Grigor has, you know, we've documented his struggles in, in Grand Slams. Um, we do it, it seems like every major, he's losing to guys that, you know, are, are less talented than him. So I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for Francis again to back up another win, take out Grigor. Um, it, it's obviously going to be tough. Grigor's playing well, but I also think that Grigor has benefited a little bit from a good draw. If you look at completely agree, you know, you look at Grigor's draw, and you couldn't really ask for a much better first three rounds. So 
Francis is going to be a little bit of a different kind of customer here, and I'm looking for it to go four or five sets again, and it's going to come down to who plays those pressure points better. And, you know, in majors, Grigor has a history of folding a little bit mentally, so I, I think this is Francis's opportunity to really, man, if he wins this, he's in the quarterfinals. I mean, just saying that is... I mean, it makes me it makes me proud. I mean, I'm really glad that he's doing this. Um, I like his chances, though, to answer your question. I really do. Hey, look, if Tennis Sandgren can do it in 2018, there is no reason Francis Tiafo can't do it in 2019. That's right. Yep, completely agree. And Francis, look, the upside of his game, you know, as much as I like Tennis Sandgren, Francis has way more of an upside, you know, upside potential. So I think this is just the start, and Francis is going to have a, a monster year. Completely agree. Well, then let's move on to another young guy who's had some success. Another young guy who you could have said potentially before this round was also a beneficiary of quite, I don't want to say an easy, but an an ideal draw in number 14 seed Stefano Tsitsipas, who in the third round takes out number 19 seed Nicholas Basilashvili, 6-3-3-6-7-6-6-4. You know, Tsitsipas is not a guy I've talked a lot about this week, Matt, because as I've mentioned, though some of his matches have gone four sets, it wasn't the highest level of competition. It was more about Tsitsipas feeling his way through both Berrettini and I think Troisky before this round. But what did you see, Matt, you know, what have you seen so far from him that has impressed you? And, you know, what have you seen that's maybe even concerned you as well? Yeah, I've watched uh, each one of his first three rounds, Tsitsipas, here. And, look, he's been impressive at times. Obviously, he's gotten through every match. Each match that he's played has been four sets. So he's dropped a set in, in the first three rounds in each match. And what I've noticed the most is that He'll play really good tennis at the most important moments of the match. At the critical times, he's going to man up and do what he needs to do. However, there's been a dip in his play in each one of these matches. A certain lull, you know, within the middle of the match, and he ends up losing a set to each of his first three opponents. Uh, Good players. I really like Berrettini, the guy that he played in the first round. I think he's he's a young guy who's, who's... He's powerful, good player. Troisky's a veteran, been around a while. And then, of course, Bazilashvili um, can tear the cover off the ball, too. But what's impressive is Tsitsipas hadn't won an Australian Open match uh, prior to this year. He had never won there. The Greek fans are out in full force. They're going nuts. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. They're getting behind him. He's using that to his advantage, playing off of that crowd. And like I said, when the critical moments come... He's there. He's playing well. It's just at some of those other times throughout a match where he maybe could have closed him out in straight sets, he'll have a little bit of a lull, you know, drop serve in a game that he really probably shouldn't, Um, you know, but hey, he's gotten through three rounds. He's into the round of 16, now plays Roger. You know, what more can you really ask for from from a 19-year-old guy? So um, I think he's doing well, and... Would it would it be outrageous? This is sorry, just a side comment. If we called the Tsitsipas fan base the Tsitsi flies, <laughs> no, I don't think that's outrageous. I look, <laughs> I love watching this guy play. I really do. Every time he plays, I tune in because I want to see what he's gonna do next. He just has so much flair. 
the shot-making ability. You see him running around the court, you know, for a big guy, moves extremely well. I just, I enjoy watching him play. He has a lot of variety in his game, loves to move forward. He's the kind of player that that I just, I love watching play, and I that's my kind of game style. So, um, overall, if I had to assess, assess his performance, I mean, I'm going to give him a solid 7.5, 8 out of 10 for his first three rounds because he's gotten through in four sets, hasn't been pushed to five, um, and has looked pretty good the whole way through. You know, if he wants to be in the top 10, though, which obviously he does, he's knocking on the door already, he's going to have to eliminate some of those lulls that he's had in the middle of matches, but he's still young and he's on the right track. I think he'll get past that. Here are the things I've liked from Tsitsipas, especially in this match against Basilashvili. You look at when he's able to dictate with his serve plus one, you know, against Basilashvili, 18 aces against one double fault. He makes 63% of his serves. And while, you know, when you're playing a Roger Federer, that number may have to be even higher. 63% is a great number uh, that you want in a third round of a Grand Slam. He wins 78% of his first serve points, 54% of his second serve points. You know, as you mentioned, he comes to the net 23 times in this match, wins 16 of those points for 70% conversion rate, 36 winners against 24 unforced errors. He played a very smart match in terms of Basilishvili can hit the cover off of the ball, you know, and he is a spontaneous player. He's going to go big down the line, yes. you know, at will. He's going to do all these things. And he was impressive in this match. And so, you know, Tsitsipas, he did stay disciplined. He knew not to take too many extraordinary risks because if he was able to just keep working Basilishvili to the outer thirds, you know, Basilishvili was either going to rip it for a winner or miss. And in this match, you know, 56 winners against 51 unforced errors for Basilishvili. Obviously, he played well and the score reflects that. For me, the thing I worry about with Tsitsipas, it's really twofold. One, he's a good mover. I still wouldn't put him as an elite mover. You know, he's not in the category of a Kachnov, of a Zverev, of even a Medvedev and Chorich, who I think are also up there. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's maybe he's maybe a tier below those guys. And I also think, look, my, my thoughts on the one-handed backhand are well documented at this point. But this is the first time I've seen a player who I think needs a slice on his backhand side, needs to input a little bit more variety. And I think him stepping up and trying to take backhands on the rise is very beneficial for him to do now in his career. But the way, and I hate using this comparison, but the way Roger Federer is able to slice back returns, you know, just hit a dead ball in the center that brings the point back to neutral. Stefano Tsitsipas doesn't have that yet, and I think Basilashvili sometimes was able to target that spot with his first serve, able to produce easy serve plus ones. And as you mentioned, when you're playing Roger Federer in the next round with what he did with, you know, as we saw with Taylor Fritz, he's going to take time away from Tsitsipas, and that's something I worry about in terms of the next matchup. Yeah, that's right. I I completely agree with the whole uh, point you made about the slice. I think it's a shot that would really help him out, give him some extra variety, um, but if we remember back, did Roger Federer really have that shot at 19 years old either? I would, I, I mean, look, I, when Roger Federer was 19 years old, I was about six. So well, bear with me here, but I'll <laughs> so say this, Roger Federer, yeah, Roger Federer always looked more comfortable at the net. I just think he displayed more natural touch and that's a very arbitrary thing to say. I can't prove it with stats, but 
you know, using the eye test, he looks more comfortable at the net. I'm never afraid he's going to botch a short angle volley. Tsitsipas, some of his short angles still look a little manufactured. You can tell it doesn't come quite as naturally to him. And that doesn't mean it doesn't come naturally. The guy's, you know, top 15 in the world at age 20, age 21. But I'm saying it's something I think he's going to consciously need to work on to improve at. Yeah, completely agree. The thing that I like about him, though, is he's willing to move fearless. forward. He's fearless. fearless. That's exactly right. And a lot of players, especially at that age, do not have that quality. And he does. And, it, you know, it's going to bode well in the future. Oh, completely agree with you. Well, then let's move on to our next match. Of course, we, we want to talk about a group of matches in these next three breakdowns. These were all a category I call so close, yet still so far. It was young guys who had cracks at the top three seeds in Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Roger Federer. Let's start with the match I think we can go through the quickest. Roger Federer versus Taylor Fritz. That's a match Federer wins 6-2, 7-5, 6-2. Look, I... I I'm a huge fan of Taylor Fritz. I think he's going to end the year as the number two American. I think he's going to crack the top 30. I think the things he can do on the baseline are elite. His contact point is elite. His serve can get him out of a lot of sticky jams. But like I, you know, even worse than Tsitsipas, when Fritz has time taken away from him, there is no plan B right now. Yeah, that's right. And and the other major thing about Taylor when you watch him compared to, say, a Francis Tiafo or a Demonor or even a Tsitsipas, the main difference that it's obvious to me is just his athleticism, right? Of course. You know, and he does well with, with the physical tools that he has. He's big, he's tall, but he's not as athletic as these other guys. And so his movement around the court can really get exposed and Roger is the king. Roger and Novak, well, really the top three guys, they're all just so good at exposing that. If you can't move, you will get exposed. And absolutely, Roger was just way too comfortable in this match. He broke Taylor right out of the box. Taylor's first service game is a break. You give an early break to Roger like that, and and good night. I'm sorry. I, I knew it was over. I mean, I watched the whole match. I was hoping that Taylor was going to be able to put up a little bit more of a fight. I thought he came back and did well in the second set, but, you know, overall, that's just such a good matchup for Fed. I, You know, he was licking his chops going into that oh, one. Absolutely, and I would say you look at some of the things from this match that really stick out. First serve percentage for Roger Federer, 61%. Taylor Fritz, 58 When you're playing a top three seed, as we've mentioned, that number has to be higher. For Tiafo, for Fritz against Monfils, and Tiafo, I should say, against Anderson, those numbers were higher, as we talked about earlier in the week. Um, you look at, for Roger Federer, his first serve win percentage, 40 of 43, 93%. Roger Federer's, you know, he's not John Isner, but obviously his first serve is elite. And what that stat shows me is whenever he got Fritz stretched with a serve, Fritz had no chance. There was no second ball recovery. Fritz wasn't hitting passing shots on the run. In fact, if because I mentioned we're going to breeze through these matches pretty quickly. If I were to describe the difference between Taylor Fritz versus Roger Federer and Taylor Fritz versus Monfils, I would say Monfils likes to play with his food. He likes to grind a little bit. He wants to work you side to side, and he gave Fritz all of the time in the world to load up on his ground strokes, and that's why Taylor looked so good. 
Federer's the opposite. Federer is all, he's as efficient as possible. He, it's a business trip for him. And he got Taylor stretched. He moved forward 15 of 18 at the net, 83% versus Taylor's 6 of 14, 43, which again, I think exposes Taylor's need to work on his volleys. The other thing for Federer, 34 winners against only 14 unforced errors in this match. Where does Roger Federer right now stack for you? And we we can move on after this, but where does he stack for you, Matt, in terms of contenders right now for guys who are probably, or who you expect to see maybe in the final or winning this thing? Yeah, number two. Clearly number two. I have Novak number one. I picked Djokovic to win the event. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with that right now. Uh, So Novak for me is number one. Roger's number two, right behind him. That's the final that I want. So we'll use that to transition. You think Roger Federer looked better and has looked better so far than Rafael Nadal, who took out Alex Dimenuer, uh, 6-1, 6-2, 6-4, took all of the steam out of the Dimenuer hype train. You thought, you know, Federer has looked better despite that performance from Nadal? Uh, see, Rafa's actually looked really good, too. I mean, he— Rounding re- into form quietly. He really is. Rafa is looking dangerous, and— you know, I'd put their levels right now, I'd say they look about equal to me. You know, I don't want to say Roger has looked better than Rafa so far, or Rafa has looked better. To me, they're right about the same. They both look really good, and I'd be shocked if we didn't see them in the semifinals. It's a shame one of them has to lose before the final, but that's how it goes when there's three players and uh, two of them are on the same side of the draw. But... Uh- I, I, well, well, talking about Rafa Nadal in his match against Dimenauer, you know, you look at the things he did well, 75% first serve percentage going 65 of 87, wins 82% of those points, 53 of 65, you know, that's elite, 11 of 14 at the net, 79%. He doesn't come to the net that often, but nowadays when he does, it seems like he has a lot of success there. He has looked better when he can play, you know, Rafa-style tennis, hit you off the court with that first serve, move you around with his forehand. It doesn't matter if you're as fast as Alex Dimenauer. When you're on the, you know, no scenario is worse in tennis than being on the defensive when Rafa Nadal is slamming forehands at you and it's just the most spin you've ever seen in your life. Now, why I would say Roger Federer does look better than Rafa at this point. And, you know, again, I, I all week was saying Dimenauer as an upset threat over Nadal, and clearly I was very wrong. So, hey, great shot to me. You know, Rafa in this match, 22 attempts is not a lot of second serve points, but he only wins eight of those uh, points. You know, I, I feel like if you can get Nadal on the defensive now, it's just a fact. He cannot move like he once did. And I think when he's playing the better players, you know, he matches up now with Burdich, who's going to try and take time away from him. That could be an issue. Whereas, you know, Federer, Djokovic are both still just doing their thing. That's true. That's a fair point. Um, but, you know, when he's serving 75% for serves in, you know, like you mentioned, I don't know how much that really matters when his second serve attempts are that low. Um if his first serve percentage is a little bit lower and he's not making as many first serves, then you're absolutely correct. The better players, especially as he gets into the quarters, semis, finals, um, will take advantage of that for sure. But if he serves at a high percentage, he's going to be super tough to break. He, he yeah, just is. I, I agree with you, but again, to maintain a 75% uh, per first serve percentage unless you're John Isner and Ivo Karlovich, it is hard to do. And I just... I don't know. I think that match with Burdich is going to be very interesting. I think for Nadal, 
you know, six aces against six double faults. He he only comes to the net four, uh, 14 times. And, you know, Alex Dimenauer is a great returner. And in this match, he's not able to break Nadal even once. He goes 0-4 on break points. It's just interesting to me because then you look at Novak Djokovic in, the, in his match against Denis Shapovalov. Even though he lost a set in his 6-3, 6-4, 4-6, 6-0 victory of, in the match, it, it just looked like he was playing with Shapovalov. It looked like he felt he could break at any time. And to his credit in this match, Djokovic does go 8 of 13 on break points. You know, he breaks Shapovalov 8 times, holds Shapovalov to 15 of 47, a 32% second serve uh, win percentage. You know, if if Rafa's only winning, what, 30, however, 30-what percent against Dimenauer, wait till he faces a Djokovic, a Federer, who's going to jump on that second serve. Yeah, 100%. Completely agree. I mean, Joker is the best returner in the world. He'll take advantage of anybody like that. Um, but, you know, against Shapovalov, you know, that match was never in jeopardy. Like you mentioned, he was really kind of just not toying with him, but... He was just so comfortable. He knew that he just, he was going to be able to do whatever he wanted. And once he got, got up those first couple sets, you know, I know Dennis came back and won the third set, but that for Djokovic fans, that doesn't worry me at all because I I don't put too much stock into that. He comes back and wins six love in the fourth. He's looking good too, man. I'm telling you the top three, as good as the next gen guys have looked and they've looked great. In this tournament, how good have the top three looked again? This is another year. We're in 2019 now, Gruskin. <laughs> you don't have to remind me. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna remind you. They're still here. I mean, <laughs> they're still here. Where are they going? It doesn't look like they're going anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Look. You're very right. All of these guys have looked good so far, and I think these round of 16 matches will be another chance to see as the level of their opponent increases, can they continue to also raise their games. You know, I just feel like some of the guys 50 and under, they see Rafa, Djokovic, Federer across the net, and they just shit themselves, you know, right away. And so in coming into the match, I feel like, you know, Shapovalov against Djokovic, he had no plan B at any point. Uh, it just seemed like he was slapping away, and you look at his performance— uh, he goes uh, 21 winners against 57 unforced errors. He really was trying to force the issue. There was no plan B. And I guess we'll end on these three matches here. You're weighing the performances of these three young guys. All of them should be happy about their performances, obviously. They're making a third round this early in their career. That's good. They're losing to the three titans of the game. But, you know, power rankings, one, two, three of these guys, just because why not? I rate their performances from this round. Just from this round, or you think like going forward throughout the rest of this year? No, just give me this round because I, I'm just curious. I I, I want to hear who you think performed the best. Oh man, it's it's so tough because to be completely honest, none of the three really performed that great at all. I mean, I think all three of them would tell you right now. Yeah, I, I severely underperformed. You know, Demon out to me, the one that's probably the most disappointing, I knew Fritz was was up against Fed, and that was probably not going to go, you know, there wasn't much hope there. Just the matchup problem. I knew Rafa was the clear favorite against Demonor, but Demonor had looked so good in Australia, in uh, Sydney, when he won his first title. Coming into the year... 
I did expect a little bit more from him against Rafa, even though I had picked Rafa. There was no way I was going to pick Demon Or to win the match. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be a little, I thought it was going to be tighter. I will admit that. I thought it was going to be tighter. So I'm probably most disappointed with Demon Or's performance. I'm least disappointed with Fritz's performance because my expectations for Fritz against Roger were not as high. So I guess, I mean, it's weird to rank them, but I guess I'd go... (laughs) Look, it was a stupid question, but I agree with you. Probably Fritz was what I expected. Shapovalov was never going to out-hit Djokovic. I just don't think he... And I worry with Shapovalov, as I mentioned, there still is no plan B. But not only me, but I, I did a Twitter poll earlier this week, and you know, 112 votes, not the biggest sample size, but 46% thought of these three matches, Dimenauer had the best chance at pulling out an upset, 28% Fritz, 26% Shapovalov. I'm not disappointed in Dimenauer's performance uh, from this tournament because, you know, my thoughts on him still tremendously high upside, waiting for him to develop that one go-to weapon. But just this match had all the writing on the wall for this is the storyline changing of the guard match. This is where Dimenauer has his breakthrough moment. And I guess just as a fan, it was deflating that Nadal just dispatched with him as quickly as he did. Yeah, agreed. And I voted in your poll, by the way, and I actually (laughs) voted... Demonor over Nadal is the best chance of an upset, but I still didn't like his chances, if you know what I'm saying. I still picked Nadal. I didn't think his chances were very good, but to me, he had the best chance of pulling the upset because I I knew Roger, you know, in the form that he's in, Fritz, it was going to be too tough, and I'm not picking against Novak, who I think is going to win the event. But, yeah, it was just... Demonor can play better than that. He just, he can. We've seen him play better than that. And so that was, that was disappointing. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, you know, I think the real mistake is on me for not putting in the Twitter poll as a fourth option, none of the above, because I think that would have been the overwhelming favorite. And and I just wanted to bring this up to say, I got to get better at Twitter polls. (laughs) Yes, you do. Perfect. Well, then let's touch on some of these other results as well. You know, I, I I know there were a lot of matches and we could break down all of them, but we're not going to do that. We'll just give us your biggest takeaway from this. You know, the first match, Alex Vera, the number four seed, ends the run of Australian wildcard Alex Bolt, 6-3, You know, Matt, I think he looks great so far in this event. Pretty good. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say great. Not for me yet. Um, he's still in a, in... I can't remember. Let me see here. The match that he played before... Uh, oh, he played uh, Chardy. He played Five sets. Great Chardy, match. Great match, but for Zverev, he still played too defensively in that match. He needs oh, to push up on the baseline. Hard disagree with you, Matthew. Hard disagree. I'm telling you, he will not win a slam until he, he changes his ways. I promise you, Zverev will win multiple grand slams throughout his career, but it's not going to happen until... He, he changes the way that he plays in majors. He does it in other tournaments. We see it throughout the year. He plays aggressively. He takes guys out. Roger, Novak, it doesn't matter. But uh, that Shardy match is a perfect example. There okay, I, I disagree, and I'm sorry to cut you off here. Uh, the reason why I disagree, and I, I talked about this in that podcast, 
I thought Chardy just played so well. I thought he was so risky, or not risky, but so willing to dictate with his forehand, went after every ball as aggressively as possible. And to Zverev's credit, he was moving around great at the baseline. He was trying to move forward when he could, and it was just a testament to Chardy playing as well as he did. I also think that 6-1 set was, you know, it's a testament to how much effort Chardy had to give just to come back versus, you know, Zverev, who was able to stay a bit fresher in the match because he was, he did build that two sets to love lead. If anything, I think it bodes well for Zverev, the fact that he was able to pull out that match with Chardy playing as well as he ha- as he was. I think that's a match we might have seen him even lose in 2018. Possibly. Look, Chardy's your boy, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I say negative on that. I, I, I don't know, man. Zverev, look, he's top five player in the world. As good as Chardy is... I don't know, man. Zvera, he's just, he's too good. He's too good. Let's see what he does against Milos. <laughs> I, I don't know. He, he's, I frustrating. he's frustrating. He's frustrating to me. Your argument right now for Zverev uh, saying he needs to be more aggressive is he's too good, so he might as well be more aggressive. Is, I'm down with that. Good. I think we're saying the same he's thing. He's too big. He's too strong. He's physically a specimen. He moves well. I mean, he has everything that you would want in a tennis player. If you were building a tennis player, it might look exactly like Zverev. So, <laughs> I, What did he get called? He called himself the asparagus of the tour? That's well, what they called him in the locker room? Maybe. I don't know about that. I mean... <laughs> He's pretty thin. It's pretty funny. Hey, great shot to that joke. Yeah, I guess. We'll see. He just... I'm telling you, man, he's one of the most frustrating guys for me because I just... I want to see him win a slam. I, I just do. <laughs> he's going to, but... He's severely underperformed, and I don't know. He's still in here, so let's just let's monitor how the rest of the tournament goes for him, and we'll get back to it. Totally fair. Well, then let's move on to our next match because God knows we spent way too long on that one, and we didn't even talk about Zverev, who ended up winning in straight sets. We didn't even talk about the match, but still, <laughs> uh, you know, hey, great shot to him. Marin Cilic in this uh, next round, number six seed, takes out Fernando Verdasco, the 26th seed. 4-6, 3-6, 6-1, 7-6, 6-3. Probably the first guy I've seen all tournament actually come back from two sets to love down and pull out that fifth set. You know, some fun, a fun stat from you from at Luca Beck. You know, a five-set slam matches played in their career. Leighton Hewitt has 45, tied for second. Roger Federer and Fernando Verdasco at 43. Verdasco's an Iron Man. I mean, that guy, <laughs> he really is. He just... I can't even believe he's still playing at the level that he is because I remember him like 10 years ago. I actually saw him play Davis Cup for Spain against the U.S. in Winston-Salem. I was there, and he just... The fact that he's still playing and going five sets, and it's just it's kind of mind-boggling to me. But that stat actually does not surprise me that he's he's the second all-time player in in career five-set slam matches played. Yeah, and it's a testament to how well he, you know, how good of a server he is. I also think we always see him do well at the Australian Open. He's a bigger guy, you know, very thick, very strong. I also think he comes into the season about 10 pounds less than he is throughout the season. Helps him move a little bit better, and that's why he plays better at the Australian Open. But still, great match for him. Great match for Chilich, who it seems like has been tested pretty hard these first three rounds and is able to come out on top. You know, he's got a ton of... 
points to defend, so it's important for him to do well here. Moving on, though, Kei Nishikori, the number eight seed, finally gets a three-set match, takes out a very tired Zhao Sosa, 7-6-6-1-6-2. I thought Nishikori looked pretty good in this one. Pretty good. Sosa, I think, was a little bit... I don't know if he got injured or was just gassed or whatever it was, but this was just routine. I mean, Sosa, great tournament for him to make the third round for sure, but uh, routine for Kay, after, which I'm sure he was loving after playing two long five-setters before that. Absolutely. Well, then we'll move on. Borna Choric, the 11 seed, takes out Phil Krajanovic, 2-6-6-3-6-4-6-3. Choric just didn't play well in the first set, so it was great to see him rebound. Uh, you talk about another young guy who's had a lot of success so far in this tournament. Daniil Medvedev, the number 15 seed, takes out a feisty David Goffin, 6-2-7-6-6-3. I don't think the straight sets reflect how close this match really was because both the second and third, well, more so the second set really could have gone either way. And then in the third, Medvedev went up a break, Goffin broke back, Medvedev broke back right again. But still, Daniil Medvedev, he, he's got to take on Djokovic next. But if any guy is playing well enough to at least hang with the top seed, it's Daniil Medvedev. Oh, for sure. Medvedev is just so impressive to me. I mean, that was a statement win over Gofan. Look, Gofan is really, really good. And like you mentioned, the match might have been a little bit closer than the scoreline, but to... I, one year ago, I promise you, Gofan would not have lost that match to Medvedev in straight sets. I, I, I can assure you that. So I would say that's not. I would say two years ago because well, two years ago, Gofan, Gofan just didn't have that great of form last year. But 2016, Gofan, let's say, who is closer to the 2019 iteration or 2017, I should say, that who's closer to the 2019 iteration than 2018. But sorry, go on. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. And I, but Medvedev is at a whole nother level now. I mean, this guy's going to be top ten here soon. I mean really, really soon. Like after Indian Wells, Miami, some Masters Thousands. Let's let's see where he is because he's... Hey, he's... What, one of my hot takes from the year was that Chorich, Kachanov, and Medvedev will all spend some time in the top 10 this year. Yeah, that's not a bad take. Most of your takes yeah. are bad, but that one I'll agree with. Oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Well, then let's move on. Uh, talk about some other veterans, guys, we've heard from before who are having success at this tournament. Number 16 seed, Milos Ramonich takes out Pierre Hughes, Air Bear, 6'4", 6'4", 7'6". Tomas Burdich takes out Diego Schwartzman, 5'7", 6'3", 7'5", 6'4". And number 20 seed, Grigor Dimitrov takes out Thomas Fabiano, 7'6", 6'4", 6'4". All guys getting to the fourth round of this Australian Open, really big for their rankings in terms of accumulating some big points early on. On. You know, I know you wanted to say a little bit about the burdich schwartzman match, Matt, and I, I even before you say anything, Tomas Burdich showing this form thus far in the Australian Open might be the biggest surprise of the tournament. Oh, super surprising. I mean, he came out of nowhere. He was out, what, six months of last year? We haven't seen the guy in so long. I really didn't have many expectations at all for him coming into this event. He's exceeded all of my expectations. He looks really fit. I mean, really good. Um, he looks so, skinny. He looks yeah, thin. It, he does. I mean, I think he's in pretty darn good shape. And, and Schwartzman is just so small. I mean, that's a match in the past when Burdick was, you know, a top 10 guy that, you know, we would have expected him to take out Schwartzman back then. But, you know, now it was no guarantee. And he kind of looked like the Burdick of old. And, you know, we'll see what he does against Rafa. I I don't like his chances, um, but for him just to make the fourth round, huge, huge confidence booster for him. And I think he could be a force the rest of the year for sure now if he stays 
stays healthy. I completely agree with you, but let's move on to some other matches. Another guy who's looked great in 2019, Roberto Bautista, who takes out my finals pick, Karen Kachanov, 6-4-7-5-6-4. I don't even want to get into that match because it'll just hurt me too much. Uh, Pablo Carreno Busta, the 23 seed, takes out Fabio Fognini, 6-2-6-4-2-6-6-4. Luca Pui, the number 28 seed, takes out Alexi Papyrin, 7-6-6-3-6-7-4-6-6-3. Papyrin was the youngest player since Bernard Tomic in 2012 to reach an Australian Open third round. You know, I hadn't had a chance to see much of him before this tournament, but he's definitely a guy I'll be monitoring in 2019. Yeah, for sure. I watched him a little bit. He played a warm-up tournament. I think it was in Sydney. Uh, He got a wild card there. I watched him play. He's a big guy. He's like 6'5". He still needs to get a little bit stronger, but... He can hit the ball. I mean, he he definitely smacks it around the court. He's young. He's 19. So... Big upside with him. Uh, he's really just getting started, I think. So for the Aussies, he, he's, you know, him and Demonor, they they have some guys to look forward to, which for them, it seems like it, it's been a little while. You know, you can, you can never trust Tomic or, or Kokonakis. Kyrgios is, is the biggest wild card on tour. But, you know, I think between Demonor and Popperin, those guys, you know, they don't mess around. They're going to be around for a while. They're both so young and they have the right attitude. And I think that makes a big difference. So for the Aussies, they have those guys to look forward to. Completely agree. Well, then let's end by getting into some storylines from the round, uh, going into the round ra- and then talking about some storylines emerging for the round of 16, as well as previewing those matches, because, you know, now we're at the point there's only eight matches. And I should say moving forward, as opposed to daily recaps, we'll be doing recaps every other day at the end of each round. You know, that way we'll always be able to have a guest and, you know, we'll be able to talk about all of these matches at once, project the storylines moving forward. But Matt, uh, some fun stats for you. Up- you know, going into the round of 16. Great Britain is without a singles player in the round of 16 for the first time since 2008. Kind of shocking to hear that. Oh, wow. Also, on, on that note, Spain for 19 years, Switzerland for 18 years, you can guess who those guys are, have had a male player make at least the third round of singles. You know, in terms of the first Australian Open round of 16s of their career, Alex Virev, Borna Chorich, Luka Pui, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, Francis Tiafo all guys who make their first round of 16. And then in terms of first slam round of 16s of their career, both for Daniil Medvedev and Francis Tiafo, you know, they finally get that breakthrough, make it to what is called the second week of the event. Um, we should say it's also the second for George and Tsitsipas, only the third for Zirev, only the ninth for Dimitrov, and kind of surprising to me, the 17th for Raonic. Good for him. Also, just on, on the big guys' front, this is Fed 63rd. That's f- nuts. Djokovic is 46th. Nadal's 43rd. Also f- nuts. Um, you know, Matt, coming into this round of 16, give me the match you are most excited for. Ooh, there's so many good ones. Um, I'm really, really excited for Djokovic, Medvedev. Um, I just, Medvedev to me, it's kind of like Tsitsipas. I want to tune into every single match that Medvedev plays just because I have to see how he stacks success over and over again. I want to see how he progresses from round to round how he recovers, how he plays. So that match to me is definitely one to watch. But of course, I mean, I've got to go with Francis Tiafo and Grigor Dimitrov. Look, he's the last American next-gen player. That, 
I will not miss a point of that match. I can promise <laughs> you that. I will not miss a point of that match. Um, I may miss a point of Djokovic, Medvedev, but um, Francis, look, man, I'm getting behind him. I'm getting behind Big Foe, and I'll be watching that one all the way. That's clearly my match. My, well, my, yep. if I if I hadn't seen Tiafo Dimitrov in person at Laver Cup, I would agree with you, but I'm worried it'll go that way. Of course, Francis has showed such a higher level, so hopefully I'm worried about nothing. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways from all—I I should say it's an easy pick, by the way. I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, you always have to support a, a young American when they're out there, but— I think one of the biggest storylines from this round of 16, we have five next-gen players still alive. You obviously have Zverev, uh, who came in, should be in this round as the four seed. He faces Raonic. You've got Chorch, the 11 seed, taking on Puy. Tsitsipas, the 14 seed, plays Federer. Medvedev, the 16 seed, who plays Djokovic. Those four guys, all guys who held their seed. So, hey, great shot to them. That's a big progression. And then, obviously, Francis Tiafo, as you mentioned, who, who plays Grigor Dimitrov. You know, I, I sent out a recent tweet Twitter poll of of Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and Tiafo. Which of those three guys do you think have the best chance to move on to the quarterfinals? And right now it's at 61% Tiafo, 18% Tsitsipas, 12% Medvedev, 9% stupid question. All are going to lose. Matt, of those five guys, which do you think has the best chance of making the quarterfinals? In fact, give me your power ranking one to five. Okay, Tiafo number one for sure. Again, I voted in your poll. Over Zverev? Oh, oh, oh. Including Zverev and Chorich, Zvir- I should say. Okay, yes. okay. Well, here's... Are we considering Chorich and Medvedev next gen, even though they're 22? Yeah, well, they were 96s. They played the inaugural event. So for me, they're always next gen. Plus, they're younger than me. Like, I am not current gen. Okay. I am next gen. So I have to include them in the next gen. Fair enough. I'm just getting an idea of what we're going by because technically, I'm cons- my next gen, and I've, ro- I've written a couple articles um, about the next gen results at this tournament. I've been going by the 21 and under players because I think technically that's you have to be 21 or younger to get into the next gen finals at the end of the year. So that's just what I was going by. But um, that was very Jonathan Kelly esque of you correcting me for stupid criteria. But I'm gonna let it slide because uh, you're right. I'm just you know I'm stubborn. Well, and I'll let yours slide. I- I'm cool with it. I'll <laughs> roll with I'll roll with the way that you want to roll with it. That's fine. So okay, here's my power rankings. Number one, I've got Zverev. Over I should uh, say Rainich. Alex Zverev, Milos Raonic, career head-to-head, tied at 1-1. The last time they played, 2017 Wimbledon fourth round. I remember that match. That was one of our first podcast matches where Zverev completely choked and lost 4-6, 7-5, 4 I believe it was up 5-3 in the fourth and had the match and gave it away. But I agree with you. Go on. Number two, Francis Tiafo over Grigor Dimitrov. Currently, Grigor leads it 2-0. They've played twice. Grigor beat him at Laver Cup, and then he also beat him last year at the Canada Masters round of 16, 7-6, 3-6, 7-6. I agree. Uh, probably our first disagreement, I would probably put Chorich above him, but I imagine Chorich is your number three. Correct. Chorich over Pui, number three. Chorich leads that head-to-head series 2-0. The last time they played 2018 Vienna round of 16, Chorich won 4-6, 6-0, 6-4. Four, Medvedev over Djokovic. You know, uh, so Djokovic, Medvedev, Djokovic leads 2-0, but they haven't played since 2017, and that was on grass. Oh, what I Don't do it, to- Gruskin. Don't do it. You know, <laughs> come on, man. 
Well, on Tourneytopia, I predicted Djokovic as my winner. So all of those. So did takes, I. Yeah, and it's the easy pick. Of course, you're a fool if you're not picking that. But there's a case for Medvedev, right? Well, that that's my point. There's there's a good case for Medvedev. He's he's playing that well. I mean, that's why I've got him at four. And then I imagine number five, you've got Tsitsipas against Federer. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's just, a, I think that's a Fritz-esque situation, right? Where Tsitsipas just is going to have time taken away from him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Roger's just in too good of a form. I mean, from what I've seen, it's it's like you said, very similar. He's going to have time taken away from him. I think Medvedev can pose a few more issues to Novak than Tsitsipas might be able to do to Fed. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And we should say this is the first time Tsitsipas and Federer are facing, to, uh, facing off head-to-head in their careers. Another possible, you know, if, if I'm writing the narrative of the next gen, this is a match I'd circle and say, and Tsitsipas changes the guard, hits Federer off the court, manages to steal this match, and yet, much like you, he would be my number five as well. I think the only one we really disagree on. I think Chorch over Puy, two guys who are you know pretty similar in terms of how they want to play. I just think Chorch is a little bit fitter, comes in in a little bit better form. That's why, I, I it, again, Chorch has played so well. I have him making the quarterfinals, so I'm going to stick with that pick. Yeah, no, I, I actually do too. I agree. I like Borna. I think he's he's playing phenomenal tennis, but look— this I'm I'm taking advantage of this opportunity with Francis and I'm going to roll with them. As far as I can <laughs> as far as I can roll with Francis, I am for this tournament. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear it and of course when you come on, we had a lot of catching up to do, so we apologize that this recaps a little bit longer. Of course, we did recap, you know, two of two days in a row where there was a ton of tennis, so that was going to be the case, but we promise moving forward as there are less matches to talk about, we will try to keep these matches on, or keep these recaps, keep these matches. I hope the matches go as long as possible, but we will try and keep these recaps you know, relatively on the shorter side. Matt, I can't let you go without letting you say the final word. You know, not only is there anything else you want to mention, but what will you be watching for moving forward in this event? Yeah, so it's been great so far. I mean, what a tournament, right? It's been super entertaining. Next-gen guys playing well. Francis Tiafo breaking through, really announcing himself as a serious force on the tour. And then, of course, the top three. It's like a little bit of everything so far, right? Um, I'm going to be looking for... I want to see how the top three do against a little bit stiffer competition. So they've, they've been able to get through relatively easily, but... Djokovic against Medvedev. Djokovic hasn't seen anybody playing to the caliber of Medvedev so far. Not in the first three rounds. Federer against Tsitsipas. Look, Tsitsipas is confident. He's going to have fans there. The Greeks are going to be out. They're going to be going wild. That'll be interesting. And and Burdick is back against Rafa. That's like an old school matchup. Nadal leads their head-to-head 19-4 overall, but they've played 23 times. So we're throwing that match way back. That's a blast from the past. Let's just see how they do against a little bit stiffer competition. And of course, I've always got my eyes on Zverev. He needs to step up and take Milos Raonic out. It's going to be tough, but I want him to step up, be aggressive, minus Milos's serve, because that's always going to be tough, but especially on Zverev's service games, 
I want him to be super aggressive and I want him to be pushing Milos around the court rather than having it go the other way. That's going to tell me a lot. If Milos is up on the baseline and Zverev is 10 feet behind that baseline, man, just grinding away, waiting for Ranich to miss, I'm telling you, he's not, he's not taking a step forward. And I'll continue to say that, but I've got my eyes on everything, man. We're down to the round of 16. I'm watching everything. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it, and I forgot to say earlier, you did an excellent job shamelessly plugging some of your series, some of uh, your next-gen articles on CrackedRackets.com, and to our listeners, if you want to read those or anything else up from our coverage of the Australian Open, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, social media, Instagram, Twitter, it's all at CrackedRackets, you know where to find us by now. I can't end without giving a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- job editing, as always. But, Matthew, it is so great to get you back on the podcast. We will be sure to try to do this as well later on in the week. You know, see if any of your predictions come true. All right, man. You know I'm always down. I'm available. I'm ready to go. If you want me back, I'm back. <laughs> I am glad to hear it. And I, of course, would not be so rude as to not end by giving a happy birthday shout-out to your sister. I know you have to head out to that birthday dinner right now, but thank you for sticking with me. Uh, but one last time, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, from our entire team at Cracked Racket, and for Tennis Cocaine himself, Matt Stokowiak, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Matt, what do we say to our listeners? Hey, great shot. <laughs> Perfect, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.